Gratitude, the student sums it up through sound. I'm your host, Olivia Geeger, and every Wednesday I'll sit down with the editors, writers, and newsmakers of Amherst College to get a grasp on the biggest stories of the week. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, and this week we shift our focus off campus to Texas, where many Amherst students are studying remotely right now as the state deals with the aftermath of rolling blackouts, freezing temperatures, and contaminated water. Sophie Wolmer spoke to some of those students in Texas, and she joins us this week. Sophie, what are you hearing from students who are studying in Texas right now? Hi, Olivia. Thanks for having me back. It really all began on Sunday morning when the snow started falling, and at first Amherst students were really dazzled uh, by the beautiful and dreamlike state of snow falling. Um, They're really not used to this weather. As night came and the darkness started to cast over Houston and Texas in general, more serious weather started to approach. And that's really when the state started to descend into these nightmarish conditions. Amherst students have been severely affected by the fact they don't have power and they're trying to conduct their studies remotely. They've also haven't had access to a lot of clean water and they're just not used to the demands that the cold weather places on travel. Many students were concerned their parents wouldn't be able to get to work, and there are certain financial implications that are going to be long-lasting for these families. Are there any stories that you've heard from students that stand out as, as really remarkable or harrowing? I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, Eric Ingram, he's in the class of 23. He struggled altogether returning to Amherst. Initially, he planned to come back a week ago, but because of all uh, travel problems that the blackouts have caused. His flight was first canceled. He ended up making it back. Not only did this push back his quarantine period, but he was unable to attend the first week of his instrumental classes at Amherst. So he's not only dealing with the fact that he had to leave his family behind, he's scared they're not going to have access to food and water, but he's trying to get back to Amherst so that he can do his studies in person. So it's just, it's been incredibly difficult for him. I'm also thinking of Kobe Isaiah Thompson was one student I spoke to where he detailed how someone had broken into a grocery store by his house. They literally just smashed the windows to get food. And he said that it wasn't opportunistic. It was because these people needed food and they were desperate. That was another story that I heard. He also said that his friend's pet fish froze to death, just died. Those were really remarkable stories. And of course, all of us are, are thinking of those students and their families and everyone right now who is going through this in Texas. So you mentioned how many students are managing their studies or at least trying to without internet and electricity, but very basically, how are students trying to just manage their mental health and keep a good head through all of this? It's definitely been a struggle. Right now, I would say a lot of students are in the phase where they're just trying to get through and get to the other end and they're not exactly thinking about like the implications that could have on their mental health at the moment. Dean Augusto, she sent an email offering help and any assistance that students may need in terms of mental health or just any resources that the college might be able to offer them to make their experience better. I don't think any of the students at this point have had the means or the time to take up that offer. So we'll just have to see in the upcoming weeks how it plays out thinking about what the college is doing right now to accommodate the really unusual and intense demands that this situation has placed on on students, what are some ways they're trying to accommodate? Zach, do you have some insight onto that? 
Well, like usual in situations which are bad for students and are out of their hands, I think the college has taken a very flexible and compassionate approach to the to the overall process. As Sophie just said, uh, Liz Augusto sent an email that was individually addressed to every student from Texas at Amherst that said, hey, we know what's happening. We're reaching out to you in the wake of these storms. We want you to know that we're here for you. The Amherst community is here for you and your, your professors are here for you. I hope that the students from Texas can take advantage of those resources and know that the college cares about them. I agree. Lastly, I wanted to ask, because so much of the conversation we've seen in the national media about this disaster in Texas has focused on the fact that this is an effect of climate change. And it is part of these really disastrous weather events that we're going to see more and more of. I'm curious if students, because of course, environmentalism and environmental activism is so much a part of student life and academic life at Amherst, if that has been at all part of the conversations that you've had with students or with faculty and administrators. A lot of the talk concerning climate change has been directly related to the political situation in Texas as well, in terms of the students that I spoke to believe that it's the fault of governors, senators, representatives, the fact that they're incredibly stubborn and have sworn by fossil fuels and rugged individualism. Basically, they're saying that things aren't going to change and we're not going to address climate change unless the political situation in Texas also changes as well. Well, thank you very much for that, Sophie. I think we're all hoping to watch things recover quickly in Texas. Now we'll shift gears to take a look at a Black Faith panel event that took place on February 16th. Zach Jonas joins us. Zach, could you describe the event and who participated and what it was like? Yeah, so the event featured Black leaders from the Muslim, Buddhist, and Christian traditions where they talked about their intersectionalist experience on race and religion. The event was co-sponsored by the Office of Religious and Spiritual Life, uh, the Black Students' Union, the Interfaith Council, and the Multicultural Resource Center. So this was an event that was held over Zoom, and our very own news editor, Sophie Wolmer, attended this event, wrote about it, and took quotes from students. So here's Sophie with some more information. This Black Faith panel was incredibly interesting. I learned a lot about the intersection of race and religion, particularly how different leaders of the faith can collaborate in order to overcome the circumstances of today and continue to make change in the environments that they have it. Particularly, it was really interesting to hear the remarks of Rosella Haiti White, who's a public Lutheran theologian, and she's a leadership consultant and writer as well. But she spoke about her 20-year exploration as a woman of faith. She said that I've carried a lot of baggage because I was raised in a primarily white religious tradition. This white tradition often conflated its theological heritage with its Eurocentric embodiment in a way that led me wondering what my place is in this religious tradition. And I think it speaks volumes that a woman who is a leader of the Lutheran theologian tradition questions her identity and her role in this environment. It's really interesting to understand how she's going about sustaining justice in her community. And how were students and attendees responding to that? 
Well, I think that students definitely enjoyed going to the event from the people that I talked to. Like Eunice Dadu, she works for the Office of Religious and Spiritual Life. She said she's often felt many of the things that the speakers were talking about. Like she feels like she has grown up in a rat race where at times she's confined to norms of fulfilling the wants and needs of this patriarchal vision that the Bible portrays. It was really amazing for her to hear that other people had had similar struggles and that the panelists were embracing this imperfection of religion and the fact that one's spiritual journey is not linear. The moderator, Joelle Crishlow, she was the former BSU president, also thought that the event went wonderfully well. She was really grateful that the panelists were so open and willing to share their struggles, even though they're the leaders of their faiths. That sounds really interesting. Thank you so much for for sharing with us, Sophie. I think We'll all look forward to reading more and hearing more. So now shifting gears, but still thinking about student health and wellness, Yilin Lee is joining us to discuss changes in the college's emergency medical program, ASIMS, after it didn't run during the fall 2020 semester on campus. So can you explain a little bit more why ASIMS didn't end up running this fall? Yeah, so in the fall, there were very few juniors and seniors who were on campus because it was only first years and sophomores who were officially invited back. So with most of the experienced members of ASUMS being upperclassmen, they simply did not have enough staff members on campus to be able to run effectively last semester. What were some of the obstacles that that lack of service presented? Students who were on campus last semester who I spoke to definitely thought that there was a gap from ASIMS not being in service. They said they knew of incidents where students had wanted to call for ASIMS, but ASIMS just wasn't there. That made things a lot more dangerous for students who felt like they couldn't reach out for help. So can you tell me about how your conversations with ASIMS eBoard members went? What did they say that this semester might look like with more students on campus? More students on campus definitely allows them to be fully staffed, but the qualitative nature of their work is not that different as a result, except for the fact that there might be an even greater need for their services. The main thing that they've had to change were protocols surrounding COVID safety, for instance, there's a limit on how many people can be in the room with the patient how close in contact they can be with a patient. One thing that's interesting is that ASIMS will not be dispatched for any possible COVID cases. That is really interesting to think about this medical service program not being responsible for probably the the most pressing medical problem that campus is being faced with right now. Uh, With regards to why they don't respond to COVID case administration is definitely still just concerned for the health and safety of those members or also students. They did try to get all members who will be running vaccinated, but they ended up not being able to. The member who I talked to earlier, he actually has already received the first shot. He said it was because he was on campus in January and just got it at the UMass vaccination site. On the whole, they have not been able to secure vaccines for everybody. So I think the administration just wants to limit the possibility of ASIMS becoming a vector for community spread. 
what did they say about that process for trying to get vaccinated or, or where were they looking to get that access? An email that the of operations sent the ASIMS members a few days ago said while the board was optimistic that we would be able to centralize vaccination efforts for all of you, the regulatory hurdles we cannot, but we encourage all of you to keep your eyes peeled for local vaccination appointments and you will be allowed to leave campus to get your vaccine if your travel's approved by Dr. Jones. Well, it's truly exciting to start to think about students becoming vaccinated and the campus becoming a little bit safer for all of us. Thank you so much, Ela, and I really appreciate your reporting and you joining me today. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Student Sums It Up. We will be back in your ears and back in your inbox next Wednesday. Until then, have a great week and keep reading The Student. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Sophie Wolmer, Zach Jonas, and Yilin Lee for helping compile the reporting and editing needed to bring these stories to you. Thanks to Becca Pichotto and Sky Wu for the audio and podcast production help. This has been an Amherst student production. Thank you.